This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. What is Chalkboard Chat? It's an MPB education podcast. It's a variety show providing information and resources for teachers, students, parents, guardians, and everyday people on various topics. It's learning something new with every publication. Chalkboard Chat. Find the podcast or listen from chalkboardchat.mpbonline.org. MPB Think Radio. This is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor and the powerful women who love to stir the pot. Good morning, Malcolm White with Carol Palmer. Today will be your guides through Mississippi's vast and wonderful food landscape. March is International Women's History Month. From chefs and restaurant owners, food bloggers, and cookbook authors, inspiring women have always defied the odds and broken down the barriers in this traditionally male-dominated industry. Today, Carol and I will talk to two of these women, Enrica Williams, Chef Enrica Williams, and Chef Poe. They are here to share their stories and help highlight some of the women who have inspired them and us. Good morning, Carol. How in the world are you? I'm great, Mel. The question is, how are you after a weekend of parading at the Hal's St. Patty's Day Parade? Well, I'm a bit tired, but uh, you know, I'm okay and ready to go. It's uh, it was a wild and woolly weekend. So tell me. Well, it was a beautiful day, which is peculiar since we've had these two incredible weather uh, episode weekends uh, on Box In. So we had terrible weather. The week before in terrible weather yesterday, and somehow we sandwiched a beautiful, sunshiny, 80-degree day in in the middle of all that, and we're able to get the streets cleaned up and and, and put everything away before this second storm, which hit us yesterday, the tornado warnings and the high winds, which took down lots of trees and caused all sorts of havoc. Uh, came around, but uh, it was it was great. We had a huge crowd. Uh, good time was had by all. Many- I heard the sonic boom of the South. Yeah, yeah, that was cool having uh, JSU's sonic boom in the house. Also, Jim Hill High School was there, so we we had two full on marching bands. My yeah, goal that adds so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My goal was to have three or four, and we got two. So. Uh, we're hoping to build on that. We really want more and more marching bands. And we had uh, three brass bands on top of the two, uh, JSU and Jim Hill. We we have a community, Jackson Community Band, and then we have a, a couple of uh, local guys that have put together cool marching outfits. So we had all three of those in there, and uh, it was great. You know, it was the weather was cooperative. Uh, people were smiling and feeling good, and... Uh, you know, it was a huge crowd in downtown. Excellent. And, um, you know, it, it's tough this morning with all that went on Saturday to think about our friends in Rolling yeah. Fork. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers for, for our friends in uh, Rolling Fork and also Silver City and all parts of the Delta, Amory which were just the, hammered the weekend. You know, before. the pictures coming out of the, that event are just horrific. Yeah. And you and I have spent quite a bit of time uh, in, in Silver City and Rolling Fork, and it's hard to imagine what it's like now. And I guess uh, as days ahead, we'll see more and more images, but it's just devastating. And certainly we are uh, 
thinking about our great friends up there and hoping for a recovery and I don't know, you know, we went through Katrina and you often wonder what can it be like on the other side and you you think how could we ever recover, but we do. It's it's just what we do. Yeah, you know, I, I see one of, you know, the great Mississippi uh, restaurants is now Toothpicks. Yeah. Chucks. Chuck's Dairy Bar, where yeah. you, you and I both have eaten, I'm oh, sure, yeah. a many a meal. Yep, and yep, uh, that, yep. there's that iconic image that they show on CNN and NBC and CBS and ABC and all over with that pickup truck just sort of almost upright in the middle of Chuck's Dairy Bar. It's just heartbreaking, heartbreaking. You know, I didn't have time this morning, but I wanted to go back and look. I think it was a New York Times story last year that Rory Doyle did the mm-hmm. pictures for that featured Chuck's. Yeah, that's a that's a good positive thing uh, to think about. I'd forgotten about that piece, um, but there was some great photos uh, used in that. But we will, uh, you know, we will carry on and. Uh, I was parading, and the weather was horrible, and you were out in Arizona. I was indeed. I had a little long weekend, um, and while I was there, I learned to make tortillas. So, mm, a new it's just a, it's a new skill now. So well, no more. Please share. So no more hard in the box taco shells. No more like store bought for you. Like my husband loves. I mean, he does. He loves a crunchy, a crunchy taco shell. So. Well, tell us about the making of of the tortillas and and share with well, our listeners because I mean, who I've wouldn't want to try to make? Yeah, homemade? I've always been scared of it, and I think really the main thing I learned was what the consistency of the flour, the masa, should uh-huh. be. And really, there are just three ingredients: there's masa and water and salt. And, you know, you stir it together, and the consistency was more like Play-Doh. You know, I I had always thought it it was a lot looser. More like pancake dough. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's it's like Play-Doh. And so, you know, you roll it up in a ball and take a tortilla press, a little, you know, metal, you know, opens and closes. Right. Kind of like, I don't know, clamshell, something. And, and. You know, press it out and then put it on a griddle. And basically fry it on both sides or one side. You know, this was these were not fried; these were soft tortillas. Uh And so, I have not experimented yet; hadn't had chance with um, you know with fried ones. Mm. But boy, they were delicious! What sort of tool did you use? Like a press, like a a waffle iron, or something? it's actually, you know, uh, just a little round. There's a, a round, the traditional round press. You can get them even at yeah, some specialty where they have Mexican food or gourmet mm-hmm. source for like a little $10 aluminum press that just folds over. Okay. But the, the thing that, that we use that I love because it, um, it was in a restaurant kitchen and, you know, they had some of the latest things. It was a square tortilla press. So you're making round mm. tortillas in a square press and it was much easier because, oh. you know, you don't have to hit, you know, hit the mark. So what did you fold into these tortillas that you make? Well, a, you know, chopped steak, a carne asada, and just a little chopped meat, and then all the typical ingredients, you know, the guacamole, the um, 
you know, red onions, mm-hmm. um, you know, cheese. Squeeze of lime. Uh, a squeeze, more than a squeeze of lime. Oh. Just, just all, you know, all the stuff. Anything you want to put in, but it's going to add a lot to our house because we, we do love Taco Tuesday. Oh, boy. So now it's homemade tortilla it's taco going to Tuesday. Be it's a homemade, tongue twister. Yes, it is. Uh, and, and, you know, while I was out there, we also went into town and had, like, one of my favorite Tucson things. It's a cheese crisp. It's like a, a pizza-size, crunchy, fried tortilla you know, baked in the oven with, right, with stuff cheese on, it. on top of it, yeah. almost like a pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But on a giant crunchy tortilla. Now, I've never been to Tucson. I do not believe. Tell us a little bit about. Well, it's a very, a very cool town. It's, it's you know, not a very large town, but it's where the Tucson Gem and Mineral Show is held oh, every year, yes. which like triples the size of it. And you know, it's kind of um, an old, old west. City, it still has some of that that feel to it, hmm. and you know, I originally thought it was, um, you know, I don't know. I thought it was a lot bigger than it is. But right. it's just just a beautiful, beautiful town. Arizona seems to be kind of in a hipster mode. Like everybody wants to suddenly relocate in Arizona. Yeah, that yeah they do. And this is a great time of year in Arizona. It was very cool. You know the the Earth temperature was cool. Right. It was like in the 40s and the 50s. But when the sun is out, you know, you walk around and it feels. It's sort of arid, de- desert-like, right? Yeah yeah, 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 it is. But anyway, it's a wonderful trip, a good getaway. Thought about you a lot. And, um, of course. I was stomping with the people and you were making it. tortillas. I know. And after, you know, 40 years of doing that, I felt guilty not, <laughs> not being at the parade. But, hey, opportunity oh knocked and. There and, I was. And away you went. Indeed, I did. All right. Well, what we're going to do today is talk about powerful women. And I happen to be sharing the studio with one such powerful woman. And we are proud to have three powerful women up in the studio this morning. And Carol? And we will tell you that it is not a man's world. <laughs> it is not. A, it is absolutely not. But there is an old saying, Malcolm, that... Women make good cooks, but men make better chefs. Mm. And I want to set aside the inaccuracy of this statement, but (laughs) it does tell us something important about the way society looks at the roles of men and women in the kitchen. Right, ladies? Absolutely. Yes. Because women have traditionally taken on the role of the family cook, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they were usually not seen as suitable candidates for the Mm -hmm. more complex and prestigious job mm-hmm. of managing elaborate kitchens in fancy restaurants and in any restaurant. And so today to talk about this, we have our good buddies who are making their own impact in the culinary world, Chef Poe from Chef Poe's Urban Kitchen and Chef Enrica Williams, one of our freaking, freaking, <laughs> one of our most freaking <laughs> guests and contributors, Both. and <laughs> someone uh, whose whose food oh. I love. And I can tell you, whenever we have a big event uh, at our house and need to 
put some fine, impressive food on the table that is not mine? Who do we dial? (laughs) (laughs) We dial. We have Chef Enrica on speed dial. Welcome, ladies. Hey. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's Women's History Month. And Mm -hmm. do you... You know, they have to give us, they should give us the year, but they give us the month, they give us a day. Uh-huh. March 8th mm-hmm. is International Women's yes. Day. Mm-hmm. And now we're sliding in under the wire to tell everybody that we're taking over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Chef Poe, you were with us, I believe it was in February. Yes. When you first came on our program to tell us all about yourself, but I'm recalling that you're Delta born. Yes, I am. I'm from a small town, Shaw, Mississippi. That's right up uh, 61. They say the small town with the big heart. Shaw, Mississippi. Yes, indeed. We know it well. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Enrica, Mm -hmm. you came to us via Meridian. No. West Point. Amory. West Point. I knew it was up in the uh, prairie. Me yeah, and she has some Louisiana Sorry. influence in there, like uh, like yeah. Grandma or lived there. Well, I lived there. Um, I know the line might start uh, blowing up, but I don't really claim Louisiana. But you got a little spice yeah, there. Yeah, we lived there for um, like four or five years, and, and I was able to like pull a lot of the culture and the food uh, while we were there. But um, yeah, I'm, I am um, southern and rural by way of West Point, Mississippi. The Black Prairie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Can we talk a little bit about the Black Prairie Let's, here? Why not? It is often less talked about than the Mississippi Delta, Mm -hmm. but uh, a very, uh, really deep, heavy, I mean, it's an agrarian. Mm -hmm. The prairie itself, Mm -hmm. I guess, is built out of the soil of the river, much Mm -hmm. like the Mississippi Delta, but it would be, uh, it's farm, uh, as you say, it's, 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 it's rural. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. I love the and black it, And it cuts across, uh, yeah, Mississippi and and Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I think we were in the Black Prairie or the ba- uh, Black Belt when we were in Marion, right. Alabama, making biscuits. It sounds like they call it the Belt on Alabama's side, and we call it the Prairie on yeah. our side, right? Yeah, because um, there's the um, the Prairie Arts Festival in West Point around September, around mm-hmm. Labor Day weekend. So that area, a lot of times, that's referred to as a uh, Prairie. You know, and and it's crescent shaped. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it starts up near you know West Point, Columbus, and then comes down through Alabama and. And it's actually just a visual break in all of all mm-hmm. of the forest. I mean, they're big forests on on either side, and the soil is so rich. Yeah, and produced our good friend. I like to think that. I guess that's the Tom Bigby River. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And it has, yeah. I love the evergreen trees that, mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that populate the flatland. I it's like beautiful. the kudzu too, even though people thought it was a nuisance or think of it as a nuisance. I just remember like in, from. West Point, and we would drive to Columbus, and we would just see the kudzu just covering everything from, you know, just on the drive there. And I just always thought that was so magical. And then I saw this um, this this documentary on, I think it was PBS, about, you know, it's an invasive uh, plant. And I was like, 
what is it? Why is it invasive? It's beautiful, but I understood it like covers and takes over everything that it touches. Well, many people have tried to commercialize cuts. They have. And if we could do so, mm. Mississippi would be a wealthy state. Oh, yes. I mean, because it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Has anybody ever tried kudzu jelly? I've heard of it. I've yeah. not had Never it. Yeah. I've heard nah. of it. It's just sugar with yeah. kudzu. I mean, you, you can't really tell that it's, it's kudzu. <laughs> it's just some sugar and some pectin, and it's a, a way for people to yeah. sell things. At, oh, at, man. Um, now, the cathead people were telling me the other day when I was over there that they are testing a kudzu liquor. Mm. Frightening. I, I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> very. It's very interesting because, you know, Cathead, you know, shameless plug, they have like amazing vodka and the, uh, the Bristol Had gin. any? Oh, um, Honeysuckle <laughs> is my absolute favorite. And then the Bitter Orange is the second. Right. And I just. Locally yeah. produced. Locally. For those who don't, who oh, yeah, don't know, right. so we're very proud. They're. They've been around now a while. They have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are no longer a novelty. <clears throat> right. The Cathead is their lead seller, but the Honeysuckle is second, and then the Bourbon, the Old Soul, is their third. I haven't had the Bourbon yet. Largest. Chef, have you, have you heard of the, bur- the Bourbon? I haven't even. They didn't know they had Bourbon. Though. No, I, I, I know the Bristol Gin is the phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get back to um, to our subject, mm-hmm. women chefs. And, Chef Poe, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started and what you're doing. Well, I always was around food. I mean, growing up in the South, I mean, food is everywhere. I mean, the baby graduated from preschool. We're going to have food. Mm-hmm. But I wa- <laughs> as I was growing up, I watched my grandmother and my great-grandmother and uh, my mom cook because it's like food always was like a gathering situation, even if it was something like bad going on. We have food, and they would kind of, you know, take your mind away from uh, things that were going on. So that's what inspired me to want to cook and cook good food and have people laugh and, you know, talk, you know, just forget about your problems or what you have going on. Then, But I've been cooking since I was, like, 13. Mm-hmm. When my mom found that I can cook, she didn't want to cook anymore. <laughs> <laughs> So she just put me in the kitchen and was that. like, okay, uh, I get off at 5 o'clock, um, clean the house, and, and uh, what ready. are we having for dinner? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, But honestly, I didn't want to be a chef. I didn't mm. want to cook. I'm like, food is everywhere. I always mm. was in the kitchen. But I, it's my passion. I love it. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else but cooking. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that you have a real passion for teaching mm-hmm. young people about healthy eating. Let, let's talk about it. Yeah, when being able to merge like my passion and then my profession together, educating uh, young people or everyone on uh, healthy eating, um, I do meal prep. So I have a lot of clients who have different, uh, may have some health issues. I have uh, a few kids that picky eaters, but their mom or dad I want them to like, you know, what's something alternate they can eat that's healthy to what they're already eating. And so I love doing that, talking to the kids, so doing you those do classes. pre-made Foods that people can order. Yeah, actually, I have three clients to cook for when I leave here. (laughs) 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 So yeah, I do that on uh, Mondays. This uh, they pick up their food on Monday and it lasts them uh, five days, and then they turn around and get another ten on the next Monday. Okay, so are they? Do you? 
put out a menu every week, or do you do it specially for that family, or how does that that work? Well, I have a standard menu that um, I have been updating it uh, over the years, but it's, like, pretty standard on eating clean. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of standard to everybody, you know, dietitian needs. But if they have something in uh, particular that they need to eat or cut back on, I can do that as well. I know both of you are uh, involved in and enthusiastic about the Magnolia Sunset Market. I wondered, Renrique, if you could tell our listeners (laughs) a little bit about that. Sure, I can tell a little bit about that. So, um, the founder. Oh, yeah, that that sounds so official. Founder. (laughs) Because of the way it started. So, uh, this is actually our third year. Uh, Myself and Tabby Moyo, we also have a team of uh, Christy Griffin and Janice Williams. Um, So, it is uh, a four woman led um, creative endeavor that we decided was just a need. We wanted a place where we could connect culture and food and makers and creative genius and just show people how. You don't have to go so far to find, like, just amazing spaces. And the biggest thing for us is that we wanted to curate that space. It wasn't just in the sense of being like a farm stand or just like a farmer's market where it's kind of a, you know, come as you are sort of thing. We really wanted to be very intentional about the programming, about the vendors that we have, about the location, about everything that is associated with the market because a a lot of it was created because it didn't exist consistently enough for us to feel like there was a place for us to um, to connect and to share. So that's what the market mm-hmm. is about. Um, most of our vendors are um, black women. Um, our demographic of people that come out and to support us is such a very group of people Mm -hmm. and we love to see that that wasn't something that we formulated and said hey we want to be diverse in our reach we just wanted to make a very beautiful space Mm -hmm. and people have just responded to that in such a way that it just it it's like a it's like a, 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 rece- a receptor. It's like a mirror. It's mm. like we see us, and right. they see themselves, like mm. in the things that we're doing. Um, if I could just kind of, because like Chef Post skipped over a lot of stuff about herself, so I started following her on on Facebook. I had never met her, and I saw some content that she was doing. This was years ago, and. I'm the type of person where I'm always looking for things that either I feel like I want to be more of that thing or it's like really inspiring or fascinating to me. So a lot of her work was stemmed and steeped in like this immense love of wanting to connect people with food in a way, in her way. Like her story is directly and innately her story. You know, it's her style, it's her vibe, it's her image, it's her food, it's her thoughts, but it's reaching other people. And so for me, it's always this thing, and it kind of goes back to what Carol was saying about a lot of times when you are in the industry, Mm -hmm. you don't see yourself a lot. And the more, um, my background is fine dining. So 
in my the, 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 the silence just kind of represents no. of, yeah. of what that's yeah. kind of like yeah. the vacuum that can be sometimes. And yeah. so I've always, you know, there's like this, this misnomer about women not being able to work together or women can't get along. It's just, you know, I think it's some stuff some men just decided yeah, they because they didn't, you know, they, un- they didn't, they understood the power of women coming together and getting things done um, is beyond their uh, their understanding. But, you know, um, back to just the Chef Poe, I just was like, I, I like what she's doing. Is She's very intentional about what she's doing, and she has, like, a great style and a sense about her. Oh, and she's Mississippi, too. This is cool yeah. because I've had people to support me, and I'm always just, like, about you can't be a silo in this industry. You know what I mean? You have Mm -hmm. to, Mm -hmm. if you want to succeed, if you want to be, you know, brilliant, if you want to be, you know, inclusive and just brilliant, you have to work with other people. Mm -hmm. So for her to come to the market and she did, uh, she did two demos and she has like this amazing uh, (laughs) brand of merchandise. I, I barely have like business cards that I I can't find. (laughs) (laughs) I have to like, so she's a marketer. She has great merchandise. And I am a sucker for an enamel pen. And she has these little cast iron, Enamel pens. It says, "Love the people, cook them great food." And then she has like Mississippi as an enamel pen, and she has like some. I mean, just the whole package to me is like this is very much on purpose. I am here for this. Chef Poe is the package. She's so. Tell us where where is the the market before we dive into went to uh, the women chefs in the kitchen. I'm. Are you, where are you? So, um, so Magnolia Sunset Markets now for this season, season three, um, we are collaborating and we're housed at the Bean Path. So for the whole season, that's where we'll be. And it's the third Saturday of each month. Um, from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Where is the Bean Path? Oh, my goodness. It 451 is in- uh, North South Gallatin Street. Gallatin Street. Yes. It's, on, it's off of Gallatin Street. It's the tech district. Yeah, North Gallatin So are you actually in a building now? Me, myself. No, no, the the market. (laughs) Oh, the market. (laughs) Yeah. You're you're at (laughs) MPB. No, no, you're taking me fast. So um, so we're, so primarily we are an outdoor market. So we love using the green space. So we've just housed ourselves at the, um, at the Bean Path as a as a collective or as a collaboration with them. So for this season, we are not in a brick and mortar building, so to speak, because <laughs> our spirit and our energy of the market it started out as it foot, a. It, I went at foot. We foot started out farms, at footprint yeah. farms, but what we wanted our our vision was always for the market to be mobile, and we wanted people to understand different places in Jackson that don't get any type of traffic or energy like the, it's not um, just the the venue that you always think of. So we were always like very um, aware of that and we wanted it to be mobile and move it around. But then the Bean Path, we did a market with them in November and the feeling for that was just so right. It just felt really, really good. It was freezing cold, but just the energy of the founder and the staff with the Bean Path, and we loved the space, and so it worked out where we could come back and 
do it again every month for mm-hmm. this year. Okay. So, well, yeah. well, we'll um, we'll come check it out. Absolutely. I checked it out at Footprint Farms, but mm-hmm. that was I think that was during the pandemic. That was the, that was the first year. Mm-hmm. That was our that was our first year. Well, let's let's transition here and talk about women in professional uh, kitchens and the rise of women chefs because you know for hundreds mm-hmm. of years. Yeah, you know, the kitchen was dominated mm-hmm. by men. Mm-hmm. I guess even back from the start, they were the ones that made the fire. So they say. So they say. <laughs> so, you know, so they say. <laughs> but really, since about 19, 1980, we've been seeing um, more women in the kitchen. And I looked up some statistics that were done uh, by a, a, an association in 2002 and it's it surprised me because still seventy five percent of chefs are men. Twenty five percent of women are women. And now here's some good good ones. Of of the chefs, fifty five percent are white. Seventeen percent are Hispanic or Latino. Eleven percent are Asian, mm-hmm. and African American chefs. Only make up ten percent of the overall chef group. That surprised me. And how many of the African American chefs are uh, women? I, do, I, I, yeah. I don't know, but I'm, yeah. I'm sure that's that's Very. a small number. Mm-hmm. And the thing about those statistics, too, um, just I'm not going to like hijack this and turn this into this thing. But since we are here to talk about it, we, we can. The thing about it for me, being a chef, um, being a black woman, being southern, being rural, being country, being all of those things. Um, when I was in the industry, as I'm in the industry, I always knew that there was more of us. There were always I knew there were more black women that were doing top level chefy things um a lot of times when there a lot of times what is starting to happen now the trend is that black women chefs executive chefs executive sous they're working in corporate because of the trajectory of their opportunity mm-hmm. the, the more opportunities that there are mm-hmm. for them mm-hmm. um so that that creates security that creates benefits that creates a lot of the things that you know as a chef typically we don't have the greatest um health and and you know insurance plans we don't have a great retirement plan we don't have any of those things and a lot of times the women are moms or they're mm-hmm. caregivers or they are the the head of their household so they need something a little bit stable so they are here um but those of us who are you know, who sacrificed a lot for the craft and wanting to be a chef and learn and hone our skill, it becomes very difficult mm-hmm. because it's just by design. It's just very mm-hmm. difficult. It's very male-centered. There are stories, there are hard stories that I can tell about even what I represent as a black woman, my hair being a, an issue. My hair wouldn't fit in a toque. 
toque is the paper hat, the tall paper hat. Mm-hmm. And I would have to dismantle <clears> it <throat> and shove all of my hair in it and then use blue tape. If you're in the industry, you know what blue tape is used oh, for. Yeah. And I would have to tape my hat up. And I would have a chef with a very thick French accent that would just berate me for why are you tearing this up? Why are you destroying this? Well, because my hair won't fit. And this is relaxed hair. This is straight hair. I had a lot of hair. And I'm still trying to accommodate into the standard of what the the rigid discipline of being a chef is. Like, those experiences for me are very important because I can talk about those, but they also, like, solidify who I am and who I've always been and what I represented in the kitchen, not because of what they told me I should be, but what I knew I was to be. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those things didn't always match up. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, really tough. But I also had amazing mentors who were men who understood that I am a great chef and you need space and you're going to have to go in and elbow and make your way in there. And they can call you what you want, but they can't call you a bad chef. Wow. So, you, you know. The, you let your food do the talking. I let my food do the talking. So, see, this is MPB, so this is a nice, clean, family-oriented <laughs> show. But the dialogue would be a lot more spicier um, just in the conviction of just like, you know, um, the work. The work is never done. You know, it's well, always going. you know, you're talking about um, language and, you know, women in the kitchen have changed the culture in mm-hmm, the kitchen mm-hmm. because and you know Malcolm you can weigh on the, in on this because you've worked in so many restaurants and managed and done everything that you know the kitchen is a place where there are a lot of four letter words there's a lot of yelling and screaming there's a lot of berating and that was part of the culture yes you know yes. like in the in the you know french system mm-hmm. the brigade children became apprentices at 13 mm-hmm. and 14 and you work under you know for years and years yes. under the chefs and that's part of the culture of how of how you're taught and mm-hmm. how you become a great chef but um women in the, especially in the last 20 years have significantly had an impact on the kitchen's quieted down. Yeah, thankfully. It's, it's no longer like... The toxic, that toxic um, environment is not conducive to mm-hmm. being a good chef or being a great chef. Right. And I think a lot of that was just kind of instilled because it was also like this fear and this, you know, intimidation. Like, that was the way you were supposed to to move in a kitchen, like... Every, so much, so many things now, like you said, in the last 20 years have changed because even now for me, I graduated in 2004. So I've been in the industry for like 24 odd years. Mm-hmm. So it's just the the energy is definitely more softer. It's much more feminine. It's much more um, healthy. Right. It still has a lot of work. It's, we still, it's, there's still a lot of of work to do things, but um, and and you know, so many male chefs have embraced that that change. We have, absolutely, you know, Sean Brock, who is just a, a very famous chef uh, based in Nashville. Now mm-hmm. he he said, you know, the kitchen was like a pirate ship, mm-hmm. and he, you know, you think that you have to emulate. Mm-hmm. 
the pirate ship and, mm-hmm. and you have to fit in on the pirate ship and how, you know, he personally had worked to, you know, make make the kitchen more friendly to mm-hmm. everybody who works there. But I, I do think that women, you know, the presence of women in the kitchen and as executive chefs. I'm calling for backups that. here. So we got a caller on the phone and, and I need all the help I can get. Hello, chef. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good, man. How are you? Hey, Miss Enrique. Who, who do we have here? Chef Louis. <laughs> wait, Louis wait, wait. Bruno. Louis Bruno. Oh, my gosh. How, How you doing, doing Chef? Ma'am? I'm doing great, guys. Speak, How you doing? Speak, Enrico. <laughs> you got her again, Chef. Of course I did. What are you doing, crazy girl? <laughs> Let me tell you. Best chef in the world. Louis Bruno, <laughs> the culinary community has never been the same. She's crying over here. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Texas. You know we lost him to Texas some years yeah. ago. Oh, well, Enrica's crying. <laughs> Chef Poe is looking like, what is, what is going on? <laughs> and Malcolm and I are saying that the dining scene in Jackson has never been the same since Bruno's eclectic well, cuisine. And you introduced um, us to yeah. so many great flavors. And come on, yeah. speak, Chef Enrica. <laughs> And I miss you guys too. I miss you guys. Yeah, we miss you too. But we're always happy that you dial in and listen to the show and you you call randomly like this when it matters most. Yeah, I just always want to grab her. So I'm always on top of her game and finding out what she's doing. I'm always paying attention to that girl. So, so, Enrico, what did you crying? work? What did you learn working for Louis Bruno? So, I, you know, yes, ma'am. I want to I hear this. <laughs> so, Louis was one of those people. Um, when I worked at Parlor Market, it was a lot, and so um, I'd heard this story about Chef Louis Bruno and how amazing he was, how talented he was. So, I was already kind of intimidated. I didn't know what to expect when I met Louis. And then I met him when he opened Adobo. And I met him and his partner, Amy. And um, I was like, okay, um, you get it. You understand it. And Louis is a really brilliant chef, and he's a kind person. And so a lot of what I learned was to not play small, to not feel like I don't belong in any of the places that I have been, that I actually. It's okay, Chef Enrica. <laughs> it's an emotional I time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell you. Um, Why don't you tell us your side of it? Yeah, she belongs in this industry. She's gone. I mean, she's going to make me cry. <laughs> what is this, Oprah? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was not supposed to be Oprah. <laughs> oh, my God, and Java just Java just resurfaced. She's a cry. Um, she in this industry. She, she's a leader. She's strong. She's, she's a hell of a chef. And let me tell you about women. Women, who, who taught us men to cook? Our mothers. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they, they have in, in years they didn't give women the, the, the respect they needed to be in the, in the kitchen. And let me tell you, women belong in the kitchen for the fact that they're better than men. 
because the palates, the quality, they're they're more um, how you call it, more level headed. To me, that's my opinion. I'd rather have a kitchen full of chefs and all women controlling the kitchen because I feel they're a lot stronger. And America is that woman. She's the best. I'm not just saying that because <laughs> she's my friend. Um, here we go again. <laughs> um, now, Chef Poe, you have worked with Enrica, and y'all have partnered up to do um, a lot yeah. of things together. Yeah. Talk about your relationship yeah. with her and how y'all work together. And actually, hearing her say all those good things about me, because I have watched her for years, and I was like, if I can get yeah. Chef Eureka to stamp what I'm doing, I think I'm on the right path. And mm-hmm. for her to say those yeah. things about me, I was like, ooh. I feel like the guest speaker at the Pastor Appreciation or something. <laughs> and I'm like, I hadn't be, have I really done all those things? <laughs> but I'm, I really appreciate how she took me on her wing and they created the space for me to ooh, do what I love, talking to the people and demoing. And y'all, if y'all missed out on those vegan soul food mm. tacos, y'all missed the treat. Dude. I know, I know you weren't impressed that I learned to make tortillas this weekend, but. You know, yeah, they, yeah, I know. <laughs> I but like, that sounds great because I mean, but if you want to make them homemade or buy them, uh-huh. it's your business. <laughs> and you demoed the vegan yes uh, taco at the market this past week, yes, right? Yes, I did. I Tell did. us a little bit about that. I did the uh, oyster mushrooms. I there was the meat. I put a collard green coleslaw on it, mm. and it was on mm-hmm. a corn tortilla. So you kind of got that. That's soul food in one bite. So you got the corn tortillas, your cornbread, you got the collard green coleslaw, and you got the yeah. the southern fried oyster on the top. So mm. you got your whole meal in one bite. That's I can hear Louie wants, wants breakfast. And Java may <laughs> yeah. have something to say about that. Too. Java, I gave Java one. Well, I was just gonna—I was just gonna add that, um, and I've told Enrica this, and now I can add Chef Poe to the same list. There are very few people who I basically just eat what they cook. I am a very picky eater, and I mean, my wife knows this, and I pick off things that come on on things because I don't want to <laughs> eat them that way. But when Enrica makes something, uh-huh. it's on the plate, and I'm gonna eat it. And now Chef Poe is added to that list because last Saturday mm-hmm. at the um, market, I was playing the music, and Enrica said, "Chef Poe made these vegan tacos. Here, eat it." And um, <laughs> and I ate it, <laughs> and and it was delicious. It was just like what she said all that in one little bite um with just so many different flavors and you know i'm i'm, I'm here now I'm well java here. you know we've been together now for four four years four five anyway i don't know i think chef um enrica has been really a very big part of your food journey because i remember the first time you went to a dinner and you brought in everything you'd had you had never seen food like that before the number one, I and and I breezed in um, when I breezed in this morning, but I was tuned into the show. And the number one word that always is perfect for Enrique and Chef Poe because they said it about each other is intention. They're so mm-hmm. intentional about the things that they do. It's not by accident, you know, when something is plated or put together with this, these different type of flavors. So that intention comes across um, in the presentation, in the passion, and in the flavor. Like, it's just, it's just there. And you can't, you know, second guess or mistake that intention. Nothing is by mistake right. when it comes to their food. Well, as we're talking about um, women chefs, I think it's really Im- important to honor 
mm-hmm. the women who have been such an influence and come before us. And, and we've talked about Enrica for you. Um, but, you know, we, we've got to mention Julia Child, mm-hmm. who was, mm-hmm. I guess, 1963, her, her show. I mean, she introduced Americans to French, French. cooking, mm-hmm. but also the fun and the joy and, you know, a time where Americans were using oleo and margarine, she brought on, she joyfully brought, brought on the butter and the wine. Bring on so, the butter. So, Julia yes. Child. Yes. Who, who, Chef who, Edna Lewis. Yeah. 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 She was... Um, an African-American chef who mm-hmm. really refined the idea of Southern, mm-hmm. you know, of Southern cooking. Yes. And she and and then and just in her aesthetic, just the way she carried herself and the way she honored like her culture and and her rural upbringing was just done so gracefully. It was just so elegant and just um, and also very familiar, I think, in the ways of um, my grandmother, I'm sure Chef Poe's grandma, mm-hmm. like just people mm-hmm. that we know when they entertained. It was very much um, pulling out the good china mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the punch bowls and the silver and those things, too. And let's not leave out Leah Chase from Dookie Chase. You know, yeah, yes. Leah Chase. The goat. Mm-hmm. Southern cooking. I mean, that's, it's, I'm like, ooh, I can cook southern food and I can put it on some real china and plates and stuff yeah. and it still give the same effect as a southern meal so I really appreciate that. Our food is always Well, good. let me, can I, can I jump in right there? Let me tell yeah, you, ahead, a kid from the Bronx, a kid from the Bronx, you know, living in Mississippi, which I lived there for 20 years and I'm grateful because of great career there and great people and when I got introduced to southern cuisine, it was one of the best cuisine ever. Ever, ever, mm-hmm. ever. And I miss it so much. I mean, I could get into Texas, of course, but it's not like being at home in Jackson, mm-hmm. Mississippi. I consider it home. Mm-hmm. Bronx to me is not home. Mississippi is. And when Miss Enrique is cooking, she can cook some collard greens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I want to I want to honor a chef. She wasn't she wasn't from the Bronx, but she was from Harlem and um, Sylvia's Sylvia. Kitchen, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, Sylvia Woods, uh, mm-hmm. back in the yeah. '60s, uh-huh. introduced yeah. really uh, soul food to the larger community mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. New York. You know, her family still yep. has Sylvia's yep. Kitchen, so you know we remember her. Yeah, and the term soul food like really came about around that time as well because like with the Great Migration, with the um, influx of a lot of Black people moving from the South to different parts of the country for better um, living conditions and jobs and things like that, a lot of them would create these pockets of community mm-hmm. and they would cook these familiar things. And so I think it was coined soul food. I cannot remember the writer or the. Um, the person that wrote the article, but he coined the term soul food, and that's mm-hmm. where it just, like, for a mainstream um, approach, that's where it and came And the word about. soul was coming about, like, you know, soul train, yeah. soul and sister. James Brown and, like, in the, in the, in the mm-hmm. black um, power, black pride movement of that. And then, you know, and I think even with southern food and soul food, like, it, again, is just a thing where... It is. Um, it's not a monolith, mm-hmm. and so even in that, it's very nuanced and it's very beautiful. And we all have some sort of um, connection to it in our own way, but it's right. still 
the connector of food. Because mm-hmm. I feel that Southern cooking is really the backbone of American cuisine. Like, you know, cuisine, period, mm-hmm. is carried on the backbone of Southern and soul food cooking. So that's why I always try to do my dishes that Southern inspire, even if I'm doing something fine dining. Right. Mm-hmm. I want it to still have that Southern flair mm-hmm. to it. And let's not forget Jackson's own uh, cat, Cora, who was the first female Iron Chef. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was watching. Uh, I was watching that when I was in culinary school. I used to watch Iron Chef. Like it was so intense the competition. And um, Chef Enrica, you have a really important mentor oh, as yeah. a woman chef. Oh yeah, yeah. Speak her name. <laughs> oh, mm. um, yeah. Chef Carla Hall is um, is more of my friend than anything, and um, she represented a lot when I saw her on. Top Chef, and I saw her. I saw her. I saw her. And she wanted to be seen, and she was brilliant. She is brilliant as a chef, and she cooks really good food, and she is herself. And it just did something to me because I was, again, in culinary school watching these shows, but seeing her on TV with the hair, with the glasses, with the coordinated prints and the smile and the energy and her food. It was just like so familiar to me. I felt like I was seen. I felt like that's that's me. That's she gets it. Right. That's I can I can do this. I really, really can do this because she is totally herself. And she gets you, and you get yeah, her. Yeah, and, yeah, I'm really. And we are all together. I know, but you know, I love, <laughs> I love the fact that Carla Hall was a CPA. I mean, you know, right. she went to yes, Howard, she was at Howard University. Howard University. And, she, yeah. pra- she practiced accounting, and yeah, hey, she was like, I'm now. over. She's like, I'm over that. That's not what she I. She went from bean counting to bean cooking. Yes, and. <laughs> Did very well. Tony Tempton Morris. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin, another uh, famous African-American. The Code, um book. Author Jubilee. Jubilee. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Should have been, shout out to her. Taylor Bowen Ricketts up in the Delta. Up in Great Greenwood, Mississippi. Chef. And y'all need to know each other. We, we've got I, to make that happen. I think it's... She I, has... She has you're the same intentional approach yeah. to food. Big flavors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unusual... Yeah, y'all need to know each other. Totally. All right. So we've named a few there. There's some good ones. We got to go. Unfortunately, we've got a caller on hold. We'll get you next time, Mike. We appreciate you listening, tuning in. Thank you, Louis Bruno, chef um, extraordinaire, former Jacksonian, Mississippian, now moved out to Texas and a you had a hard time getting the women off the microphones today. We were, we were just fine. We were so excited. John and I know our role. We know our place. We know exactly what's happening. So that wraps up this uh, edition of, of Deep South Dining. Uh, it has uh, been a joy having mm-hmm. you ladies here. Thank you, Always Chef Always a good time. Thank you so Chef much. Chef Poe, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great to have y'all. No, this is not Oprah. Thank you to Carol Palmer. For joining us today. As always, we appreciate all the good hard work that you put into this. I'm Malcolm White. We ask you to stay tuned now for Marshall Ramsey's show, Southern Remedy. Join us next Monday for more Deep South Dining. Deep South Dining is a production of MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 